We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, Daniel, I have a question about Nobel Prizes. Well, you know, they aren't awarded until much later this year, so don't stay up late and wait by your phone. Oh, really? They don't give one for podcasts? (laughs) No, and they also don't give a banana prize. (laughs) Well, my question is about the physics Nobel Prize. (laughs) Well, I'm not staying up late and waiting by the phone either. Well, my question is whether it's given to some discovery that is deep or a discovery that's useful to humanity. Why does it have to be one or the other? Isn't deep knowledge also useful? (laughs) Have you found neutrinos to be useful? to humanity? Not yet, actually. I'm still waiting for aliens to teach us how to use neutrinos to get a safe tan. Yeah, don't wait by the phone for that. (laughs) Sweden, call me. Jupiter, call me. (laughs) What does that even mean? (laughs) If there are aliens in Jupiter, I want the Jovian Nobel Prize for best podcast sidekick. (laughs) Wait, you're not the sidekick. I'm the sidekick. Uh, What? What? Jorge, I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist. And until a moment ago, I thought I was the sidekick on this podcast. (laughs) And so welcome to our podcast, the award-winning science and physics podcast called Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe. Remind me which award we won. We won the award for having no awards yet. (laughs) The award for best podcast that features only two sidekicks. (laughs) We're sidekicking it here on our podcast. But yeah, it's our podcast about physics and and science and astronomy and the universe and everything in between. Our podcast in which we share with you the gorgeous, amazing mysteries of the universe. We take you on a mental tour to all the crazy stuff that's out there, that's in here, the tiny stuff, the huge stuff. And we explain it all to you in a way that we hope also makes you chuckle. Yeah, because, you know, we hope to open up your mind to the amazing and incredible things that are happening right now in the far reaches of the universe, in the far corners of the solar system. But we also kind of want to open your eyes to see all of the amazing science that's happening all around you right now. Because one of the most amazing things about physics is that the same laws of physics operate on black holes and nebula and neutron stars and you and me and everything in our world. This is one of the most earth-shattering revelations of physics in the last few hundred years, that the physics of the cosmos and the physics of the everyday are the same physics, which means that we can discover the secrets of the universe just by doing experiments in our laboratory. Yeah, it's all the same, being trapped in a black hole or being trapped in your apartment (laughs) for an indefinite amount of time. It's all the same. You can do physics anywhere. They're crushing in different ways. But it also (laughs) means that we can look around us and find amazing, crazy stuff that reveals secrets of the universe, like quantum mechanics was not discovered inside a black hole. It was found just by shooting photons at weird kinds of metal. And so today we'll be talking about an invention that I would argue maybe is one of the most commonplace or most prevalent technologies out there in human technology, humankind, right? Are you talking about the wheel? (laughs) 
<laughs> Fire. The hoverboard. Bananas. I was hoping for the hoverboard. <laughs> Hasn't that happened yet, Daniel? <laughs> no, it is not. But I'm sure somebody accidentally ordered a hoverboard on Amazon and got something else, you know? <laughs> well, it's a technology that I think basically almost every human looks at on a daily basis, maybe even an hourly basis. Now you have me at the edge of my seat. What are we talking about today? <laughs> what? what do you mean? <laughs> I thought you knew what we were talking about today. I'm the sidekick here, remember? You're in charge. Oh, I see. I see. Well, it's on our phones. You know, everyone looks at their phone every couple of minutes. It's on our computer screens and our televisions, which I'm sure a lot of people are watching a lot of these days. So it illuminates everything. You're talking about my sheer genius, right? My brilliance. Talk about Netflix. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, it's, I, I just figured out it's on the title of our podcast. So I'm guessing that people will already know by the time they click on it. That's right. I hope they haven't been misled. <laughs> That's right. We'll lead them to the light. That's right. So today on the podcast, we'll be talking about... LEDs. How do LEDs work? What are the physics of it? And why did somebody win a Nobel Prize for inventing a particular color of it? That's right. We have physics Nobel Prizes for things like understanding quantum mechanics and figuring out what the basic particles are or for, you know, an observation of gravitational waves, things that reveal the fundamental fabric and nature of the universe. And then we have Nobel Prizes for the invention of the blue LED. The blue LED, not the red LED. That one did not win. No, mm. no. Was blue Nobel's favorite color? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And so today we wanted to dive into like, what are the physics of LEDs? Is this really worth a Nobel Prize? What are the sort of obstacles that they had to leap over in order to make this thing work? And what physics did they have to solve along the way? What does it reveal about the nature of our universe that we can now make LEDs glow blue? So what do you think about my idea that it's maybe one of the most prevailing technologies out there? You mean light? in general or LED specifically? <laughs> LED specifically, you know, because they're, they're basically in every phone and there's billions of phones out there. And it's on every computer screen now, in TV screen. Most of TV screens have them. I would say it's up there along with a concrete and toilet paper as the <laughs> current most important technology. Yeah, you know, people have been stockpiling LEDs ever since the coronavirus came out, you know, just in case they run out. Yeah, you know, just in case we run out of lights. I think you're right. It's had a really big impact on everyday life. You see them in screens, you see them in lights, you see them on trucks, you see them everywhere now. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty important technology that's all around us that is hitting our eyeballs all of the time. But as usual, we were wondering how many people out there know how LEDs work or what it even stands for, LED. So as usual, Daniel went out into the world and asked people if they knew how an LED works. That's right. And these questions actually predate the coronavirus pandemic. And so these are historical records of in-person interviews back when that was still possible. Oh, really? Oh, this is an actual on the street. These interview. are from the archive. We haven't had a chance to oh, wow. pull this episode out yet. I see. Do you think people's opinions about LEDs would, would have changed by now? <laughs> well, people are spending more time inside under the lights Looking of LEDs. Looking at LEDs. You know, so they have a yeah. deeper relationship with LEDs now. Maybe hypnotizes a little <laughs> bit more since... Yeah, well, you know, people are looking at more screens and so they have a hopefully more affection for LEDs. Yeah, so think about it for a second. If someone asked you how an LED works, would you know what to answer? Here's what people had to say. No, but I just know it's a better light. Part of me really wants you to say electricity, but uh, isn't it? No, that's fluorescence. Never mind. I was going to say gas, but that's just fluorescence. The lights? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's due to uh, a resonance frequency within the LED, I'm not sure. <laughs> Essentially, uh, it's just a PN junction. Um, uh, one side has uh, holes, one side has an excess of electrons, and essentially transitions in the state of the PN junction. Really slight, so, yeah. Oh, shoot. Um, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I literally don't know. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I know. Can you explain it to me? Um, the excited atoms, but I forgot like which atom, like maybe helium, then excited to a higher state, energy state, and when it falls, it generates the energy. But yeah, that's kind of the idea. Isn't that fluorescence? No, uh, similar, but fluorescence is like much weaker energy. So what do you think of these responses? Pretty good. I, 
I feel like they fall in line with how, how I think about LEDs, which is that I don't know much about them. <laughs> yeah, I was a little surprised. Some people had no idea. Some people thought they understood it, but we're actually talking about a completely different type of light generation. That's fluorescence. Mm, people got them confused with fluorescent lights. Yeah, yeah. It turns out there's lots of different ways to make light. You know, you have incandescent light, we have fluorescent lights, and then we have LED lights, and they all operate on really different physical principles. Mm, yeah, because maybe, uh, maybe people got them confused because I feel like fluorescent lights, I know they've been around for a long time, you know, like neon signs and things like that and fluorescent bulbs, but they sort of made it into people's homes more recently. But then right away, LEDs sort of came about and then totally replaced them. Yeah. Well, fluorescent lights have been around for quite a long time, but yeah, they didn't make it into people's homes until recently with the compact fluorescence. Yeah. But there's actually sort of a fascinating legal drama about fluorescent lights because they were mm. first developed pretty soon after incandescent lights, but then General Electric bought up all the patents and prevented anybody from developing really? them or using them and basically kept fluorescent lights out of the market for decades just because they also owned the patents for incandescent lights. Oh. So it's sort of a legal political wow drama that we probably won't even get into today. They're like fluorescence that, that works with gas. It's not electric. It's on brand with us. So we'll just <laughs> sit in it. Yeah, they just sort of bought it up and sat on it as a dangerous technology that they thought would sort of endanger their business. Wow. Well, let's get into how LEDs work. Uh, but first, let's maybe talk about how some of the other lights that people are familiar with work. So take us back, Daniel. How does a torch work? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a really awesome question, actually. Like, what is fire and how does it work? And I want to do a whole podcast episode on what is fire and what is the thing you're seeing that's oh, glowing. Man. And cool. I remember that's going to be lit. It's going to be totally lit. Um, we're going to brighten your life with that one. And you remember on our live stream, somebody asked about that, whether fire can have a shadow, which is a totally awesome question. But I think the first light that we should talk about is incandescent lights. And these are the ones that Edison invented, you know, the ones that people have had in their homes until very recently. Mm. It has a little filament in it that glows and eventually it breaks. Right. Yeah. Basically what people think of when they think of a light bulb, like a round thing with a little wire through the middle. Yeah, that's your classic light bulb. And all the technologies that we're going to talk about today operate under the same essential goal, which is turn electricity into photons. Mm. Do you think when Edison had the idea for the light bulb, do you think he had a light bulb over his head? Like, <laughs> was that the only time in history when, like, somebody was actually thinking of a light bulb when they had an idea? Yeah, that's where it comes from, right? That was the first great idea. That was the first idea worthy of having a light bulb over your head. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> Technically, that's true, yeah. And so the idea for incandescent lights is to find some material where you can deposit the energy from your electrons and it'll give off light, mm. right? So... Every one of these strategies, you want to turn fast-moving electrons into shooting off photons. Photons to the surrounding areas. Yeah. Okay, so how do incandescent lights work? How do light bulbs work? Regular ones. The amazing thing about light bulbs that people probably don't understand is that they glow even when they're off. What? Yeah, everything glows. Mm. It's called black body radiation. Everything in the universe gives off photons, gives off radiation, even if it's totally black. Even if it's a black hole, Daniel? <laughs> well, technically, yes. Black holes do give up radiation. All right. Yeah, no, that's true. I stand corrected. Yes, even black holes have a temperature, right? Everything in the universe that's not at absolute zero glows at some spectrum. Now, usually you don't see it because it's invisible. It glows at very, very, very long wavelengths, very low frequencies, and so you don't see it. So, but this is why, for example, you know, infrared telescopes like the James Webb Space Telescope that looks for infrared light, it sees a lot of noise that you don't even see and they have to keep it cold at like negative 50 mm. degrees or whatever. So everything in the universe is already glowing. Right. But it's not so useful, right? You, what you want is something that glows with light that you can see. A lot. Yeah. Right. Oh, I see. Black body radiation is in the infrared. It's much lower than the infrared, yeah. It's mm. Most black body radiation, like the cosmic microwave background radiation, is black body radiation from that initial plasma of the universe. And it's at like, you know, three degrees Kelvin. It's at very, very long wavelengths. Right. But what about something that's at zero degree Kelvin? like absolute zero, would that still glow? No, something at absolute zero can't glow, but there is nothing in the universe at absolute zero. Oh. So if you're like at 0.001 mm -hmm. degrees Kelvin, mm -hmm. 
from absolute zero, mm-hmm. you would be glowing a little bit. Exactly. And that's why the black hole stuff is actually quite fascinating because when Stephen Hawking developed his ideas of black holes having a temperature, that automatically suggests that black holes should radiate because like everything else that has a temperature, they should radiate. Mm. And that's why Hawking's results are sort of black hole thermodynamics because he's thinking about the temperature of black holes and how that connects to how they mm. radiate. All right. So everything glows in the infrared. So how do we get things to glow in the in the visible light, the white light spectrum? Yeah, so the spectrum in which you glow depends on your temperature. So really cold stuff Mm. glows in the infrared. If you heat something up, then its emissions move into the visible spectrum. So you want to make your filament glow in the visible light instead of in the infrared light. Then what you do is you make it hot. Hotter and hotter. It turns the light from it, not just glows more, but it changes color. It changes color. And that's why, for example, you heat up metal, right? And you see it glows blue, it glows red, it glows white, for example. And the temperature of the metal determines the frequency at which it's glowing, right? Like white hot and red hot are different temperatures of metal, Mm. right? And so this is the basic principle. And what's going on in the physics sense? Like what's going on with the electrons and the atoms? Why is it changing color and how is it giving off the light? So it's always a good idea to try to think about stuff microscopically. And that's not just because I'm a particle physicist that I think we should always be thinking about the tiny stuff. I think it really does lead to some insight. And so what's happening microscopically when you heat something up is that the electrons inside it, the particles inside it, have more ways to move. They're wiggling more. They're bouncing more. So there's just a lot more energy there. Mm -hmm. Now, the way something glows is when something moves from a higher energy level to a lower energy level. You mean like the atoms in it decay or sort of degrade a little bit or chill out. And when they do that, they emit a photon. Yeah, they're excited. They have some energy stored in them. And that energy comes from, you know, whatever you did to heat up this material, right? Heat means internal energy stored in the motion of these objects. And we had a whole podcast about what temperature means, and it turns out to be very confusing and amazing, like everything else in the universe. But the way to think about it microscopically is that these atoms are excited. Either the electrons that are whizzing around them have gone up one ladder in the energy level, or two ladders, or three ladders, or maybe they're vibrating in new ways or rotating in new ways. Mm. These are all ways that they can store energy. The electrons or the the atoms? The electrons can move up energy levels, but the atoms Atoms also, Mm. they can vibrate. Remember, a lot of these are in bonds, right? Metals are not just free-floating gases. They're Um, these little lattices of things tied together. And they're like, you can imagine little springs between them. And then you can imagine those things vibrating and vibrating in different ways. They have different modes. Mm. All right. So they're excited. And so they're giving off energy. And then they relax because things in the universe don't like to be excited. They like to spread out their energy. And that's why things emit energy because entropy, right? Energy in the universe tends to diffuse. And so if you have it concentrated, in one little mode, like one little electron has jumped up three energy levels, it will decay. It'll give that energy off. And the way it does that is by shooting off a photon. And so the more you heat up something up, the more you make all the atoms more excited, the more, you know, photons that are going to come off of this excitement. Exactly. And then the higher the energy of those gaps. So an electron can get pushed up several levels up that ladder, and then it can jump down five levels. And so then the photon has more energy, which corresponds to a higher frequency. Mm. So that's how, for example, hot objects can emit in the visible spectrum instead of just at the very, very low energy levels. So the light that they emit has more energy, which is what higher frequency means, which is what visible light means, right? Visible light has more energy per photon than infrared light. But I think it also has to be certain kinds of materials, right? Like when I boil water, it doesn't start to glow. I mean, it starts to glow in the infrared, but not in the visible light spectrum. That's an awesome question. How hot would you have to make water in order to make it glow? I don't know the answer to that. That's a cool question, but you're right. Yeah, everything glows at some level, but not everything can be easily made to glow in the visible. Because I guess it'll melt or burn or boil. Yeah, exactly. Something else will happen to it, turn into vapor. And so that's how light bulbs work. It's that they have a little thin wire of metal that you heat up and then that gives us the light. That's right. And the way you heat it up is that you send current through it, right? You send electricity through it. And most of these metals are resistors, meaning that they're not perfect conductors. So the electrons, as they're trying to go through the metal, are getting bounced into atoms, right? And those atoms are stealing their energy. And this is what heats up something when electricity passes through it. Like, you know, that block that you use to charge your laptop. If you've been charging it for a while, it heats up, 
right? That's using, that's inefficient. It's using, it's stealing the electricity from those electrons in order to heat up that block. Wow. This is how you heat up the filament of tungsten is you pass all this electricity through it, that heats it up and that makes it glow. Right, yeah. That's a little wire inside of the traditional light bulb. And why tungsten? Is it a special kind of metal that can heat up a lot without melting? Yeah, tungsten just sort of lasts a long time. But these things are really very, very inefficient. Like, it's not a very direct way to get energy into photons, right? Mm. You're just heating this thing up and it's glowing somewhat in the visible, but not always in the visible. And a lot of the energy is just lost. Oh, a lot of the energy goes into the infrared, which we, is, is useless to us. Yeah, it just goes into making this thing hot, right? Mm. And not all the heat gets turned into visible light. Mm. And so only something like 5% of the energy that you put into a light bulb gets turned into light. Wow, not super efficient. Not super efficient. <laughs> and also kind of fragile, like you're baking this thing every single time. So it gets hot and then it gets cold and it gets hot and then it gets cold. And you know that like that creates a lot of mechanical stress, which is why these filaments, which are already very, very thin, don't last last for that long. Oh. So your typical incandescent classic light bulb only works for about a thousand hours. Wow. Well, they're making a comeback, you know, in like hip hip restaurants and stuff. Everyone's going for the incandescent bulbs. Yeah, well, the positive thing about incandescent bulbs is they have a very nice glow. Like it feels like sort of a natural light. Mm. You know, the, the process that produces this light gives you a spread, right? Not just one color. It's not like a laser beam in your eye. It's a nice spread of warm white light. Mm. And so a lot of people like that. It's sort of more similar to sunlight than some of the other technologies we're going to talk Interesting. about. All right, let's get into some of these other technologies like LEDs. <laughs> like fluorescent light bulbs. Uh, but first, let's take a quick break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities. But it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You know that feeling after you've done a deep spring clean of your house when you realize, wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like how you feel when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, while Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording all this? So it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Personally, I've used Mint Mobile, and the calls are always so crisp and so clear. All of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So it's time to ditch your overpriced wireless and go with Mint Mobile's limited time deal for three months, a premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three month plan only. Slower speeds above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
right? And we're talking about how LEDs work and specifically how lights work in general. And so we're going down the list of technologies. And so we talked about incandescent bulbs, which I'm guessing maybe my kids will never have to know how they work <laughs> technically because everything has sort of moved on. But the next one in the history of light is the fluorescent light bulb. So you were saying these were invented at around the same time as the incandescent light bulb, but they worked on a totally different physics. Yeah, the physics is different. The idea here is to use excited gas. And, you know, we talked about in the late 1800s, people were making vacuum tubes and, you know, passing currents through it and seeing glows. And that's actually one of the things that led to the discovery of the electron, right? J.J. Thompson discovered the electron by playing with these sort of evacuated tubes and seeing how the gas inside them glows. But then people were playing with other kinds of things and discovered that if you pass a current through a tube that has gas in it, you can make the gas glow. Mm. And the physics here is pretty similar to the physics of incandescent lights, except that you're making a gas glow instead of making like a piece of metal glow. Oh, I see. Instead of a little wire, it's like a tube of gas. Yeah, and you can excite the electrons in that gas. They go up an energy level and then they jump back down and they give off a photon. Mm. And I think last time we talked about these, it was it's sort of related to lightning in a way, kind of. It's it's almost like you're creating a little bit of lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it's lightning in a bottle. And it's a little bit of plasma, right? You in order to pass electricity through a gas, you have to turn it into ions. You have to tear apart the positive and the negative that usually the gas is made out of and make an ion channel. And you know, this sounds like Star Trek or whatever, but you're literally making a tube of electrically charged gas. It's like a gaseous wire. It's sort of cool. It's like a gas that conducts electricity, right? Mm. And so you're tearing it apart just by creating this electric field from one side to the other and then passing that energy through and it excites the gas. It makes the gas like glow. Like the, the atoms of the gas inside are now giving off. They're like absorbing these electrons that are going through and then they give them off as photons. That's right. The microphysics of what's happening is that these electrons, the current that's passing through will sometimes bump into an electron in the gas atom and bump it up a few energy levels and then it'll fall back down and when it does that, it gives off a photon. Mm. So you you're turning the kinetic energy of some initial electron into an excited state of the atomic electron, which then emits a photon. So that's how you get right. the energy from the electron into a photon. And it's kind of a binary process, right? Like it's hard to dim a fluorescent light bulb, right? Like a, a little regular bulb, you can do that. But a fluorescent, you know, it's either on or off. Or, and if it's sort of on the edge, you'll blink and it kind of give you eye strength. That's right, because you need to create this plasma. You need to like ramp it up to a high enough voltage so that you can create this ion channel and the whole thing starts up. Mm. It's almost like starting up a little fusion reactor inside. Oh my each God. One. It's sort of awesome, yeah. Suddenly fluorescent light bulbs are way cool. <laughs> they're lightning in a bottle and fusion bombs in a tube. Yeah, and the cool thing about them is that they're a lot more efficient. Doing this with a gas like a mercury vapor, which is what's typically used, mm. is something like 20% efficient instead of wow. like the 5% of your incandescent light bulb. Where does the other 78% efficiency go into heat as well but they, they don't they don't get as hot no, that, that's exactly right they don't get as hot which is why they're more efficient right so more of the energy goes into creating light and less of it goes into like heating up the actual apparatus so i think that all makes sense um, one interesting facet which i thought was cool was that the best thing to use to make this light is mercury vapor because you don't need really high voltage and it's it's one of the most efficient ways to do it but mercury is like super poisonous mm. which is which makes it mm. like it's a bad idea also mercury gives off light it's not visible wow. it gives off ultraviolet light. Oh my goodness. Yes. It poisons you and gives you cancer at the same time. <laughs> no, but that's why a lot of these fluorescent light bulbs are not clear. They're frosted because the inner side of the glass contains another material which absorbs the ultraviolet light, uses some of the energy, and then gives off light in the visible. So it's like a two-step process. Mm. The mercury vapor gives off UV photons, which are then like stepped down into the visible light by some phosphorescent coating inside the bulb. Wow. It's a lot to it. Yeah, it's a complicated thing. Mm. And, you know, you have to create this plasma. And that's why fluorescent light bulbs, until recently, not as commonly used in the home. They're more expensive and more complicated. Mm. But they're a lot more efficient, 20% like yeah. instead of 5%. And they work for like 10,000 hours instead of 1,000 hours. And the light is kind of different, too. It's, it's whiter, generally. It's whiter, yeah. And it kind of drives me bonkers. Like, I don't like the light from fluorescent light bulbs. It makes me feel like I'm, you know, in a target or in like an alien <laughs> autopsy examination room. <laughs> what? 
Target and alien autopsy. That's where your mind goes as worst, <laughs> worst case scenarios. Well, actually, now that I think about it, I'd love to be in an alien autopsy. Yeah, thing. or Target for that matter, <laughs> to be honest. It's but, just that I don't know why the lighting in alien autopsy scenes mm-hmm. in science fiction is always so terrible. Like, why do they always use the horrible fluorescent flickering lights? I see. Well, it's just so that the green comes out of their skin more, you know, <laughs> makes this, their green skin seem lovelier. I see. The alien's agent insisted that they have it that way. It was in their contract. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Brown M&Ms and fluorescent lights, please. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And a butt bubble. <laughs> wow. I, I didn't think that would wow. make you laugh Sorry. so much, Daniel. I don't think aliens are so vain. Uh, All right. All right. Well, uh, hopefully not. But uh, yeah, so that's incandescent and fluorescent lights. And so let's get into the topic of the podcast, which is how LED lights work. And these are uh, pretty pretty recent. I feel like in the last 10 years, they've become more popular. And they're also sort of everywhere, right? They're in phones, they're in TVs, they're in pretty much every kind of screen. Even on people's watches now have LEDs. And so first of all, Daniel, what does LED stand for? It stands for light emitting diode. Mm. Light emitting is obvious, right? It's giving off light. Mm-hmm. And And diode is this little physical thing that was invented in the 50s and 60s Mm. that's made out of semiconductors. And that's really the the core idea here is that instead of using a hot little tube of metal or a hot tube of gas, let's see if we can build this thing out of semiconductors. And semiconductors are what computer chips are made out of, right? I mean, that's what computers are made out of. So this is kind of like they adapted that technology or they figured out they can also use it to emit light. They can also use it to emit light. And you're right, semiconductors are incredible. They're also the basis of transistors, which is how we build computer chips. One of the cool things about semiconductors is that we can print them really finely. We can construct super tiny circuits that have really specific semiconductors using lithography. And that's how we make computer chips so small. We can make LEDs really small. But First, maybe we should talk about like what a semiconductor is. Like, mm. it's not somebody who's like driving a semi, for example, <laughs> or someone who's <laughs> driving with one eye closed, <laughs> or conducting an orchestra, but only half the time. <laughs> yeah, looking at their phone. And so, to understand a semiconductor, you have to understand where it falls, sort of between other objects, like an insulator and a conductor. It's basically like a a conductor that you can control, right? Like it's a resistor, but you can also shut it off if you give it a a different signal. Sort of, yeah. I think of it sort of like a combination between an insulator and a conductor. Because in an insulator, electrons cannot jump between atoms. Like one atom has its electrons and the other one has its electrons. And the electrons just stay in their Mm -hmm. atom. They have a little localized little neighborhood that they hang out in. But in a conductor, the electrons flow freely. Like they don't necessarily have an assignment. They don't have like a home address. They just sort of like move around between atoms. It doesn't take much energy to go from one atom to the next. There's no, you know, barrier there. It uh, it insulates. You can't conduct electricity. Yeah. So insulators, electrons can't jump between atoms. And in a conductor, electrons just flow very easily between Mm. atoms. Okay. Now, in a semiconductor has both right? It has, there's a flow zone and a no flow zone. So if you have enough energy, then you can get up into this conduction band where you can like float around between the atoms. Mm. So high energy electrons can jump between them, but low energy electrons are sort of stuck in their atom. So there's like the cool kids that are running all over the neighborhood and then the ones where their parents tell them they have to stay home. They're all mixed together. Yeah. And there's two different kinds. And so based on how much energy you have. And so that's what we call this band gap. There's this energy gap. If you're above a certain energy, then you can move around. And below that, you can't move around. So that's what a semiconductor is. And it's fascinating because it has this band gap. And as you said, if you excite the electrons, you can turn it into a conductor. Mm. And But Mm. some of the electrons, they're low enough energy, then they're an insulator. So you get this sort of fine-grained control about the electrical flow, which is what makes it good for building circuits and all sorts of stuff. But it's it's not a question of the energy of the electrons, right? It's more of a question of the kind of the energy of the medium, of the material. Yeah, the material determines sort of this structure, right? Different kinds of semiconductors have different size band gaps. But that band gap is the energy of the electrons that we're talking about. And you can build all sorts of different kinds of semiconductors. And you can build semiconductors based on like what material you use. Like is it gallium? Is it silicon? Is it some combination of these two? You can build semiconductors that have a bunch of extra electrons in them. So that's called P-type. Like there's a bunch of extra electrons floating around. Or there's semiconductors that are called N-type that have like empty holes where electrons should go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're both semiconductors. Meaning uh, they're both about usually made out of silicon, right? 
with some sort of metal kind of infused in it. Yeah, and so you often start with silicon and then you add little bits of other stuff to make different kinds. And a diode is just an N-type semiconductor right next to a P-type semiconductor. And what this means is very simple. It just means that the electricity can flow in one direction. That's what a diode does. So the P-type has a bunch of electrons and the N-type has a bunch of holes for those electrons to fall into. So the P-type one has electrons floating above this band gap. They can move around, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. When you put a current over it, they just fall into the holes. And electrons jumping from high energy states to low energy states is how you emit energy. So when they do that, they release photons. Mm -hmm. So a diode is just P-type and N-type stuck together. And a light emitting diode is one where when the electrons fall in, they emit visible light. Mm. And it has to be a special kind of material or is it still just silicon with some kind of metal in it? It has to be a special kind of material to get the right color light. And so that's really the key. That's the core physics for why blue LEDs were so fascinating. Mm. The first LEDs people invented, this gap was kind of small, sort of hard to make it work. And so when they fell from P-type to N-type, they didn't have that much energy and they emitted mostly in the infrared. And the, for example, the LED that's in your remote control, the one that controls your TV, mm. you don't see light coming out of the top of the remote control because it comes out in a wavelength you can't see. It comes out as infrared light mm. to talk to your TV. But there's a infrared red LED at the top of your remote control. And those were the first ones that were invented. It was actually back in the 60s that they first came out with infrared LEDs. Mm. And then the challenge was coming up with different kinds of material to negotiate this like P-type, N-type difference. So you got a larger gap. So you have more energy when they fell. So you have more energy in the photons so they could be visible light. Oh, so it's all about the difference between the P and the N-types of materials. Yes. Okay, so it, it sort of depends more on the N-type and the, on the size of the hole? No, the hole is just a hole for an electron. It depends on the gap between the P-type and the N-type. So you're right. It depends on the type of material and the size of this gap. And you're putting this P-type and this N-type next to each other. Mm. And it's basically how far they fall. Like, are they just stepping down from the curb and they go, oop, and they just give off a little bit of light? Or are they jumping down Niagara Falls and screaming all the way down and giving off a lot of energy? Oh, I see. The electrons go from the P-type to the N-type. Mm -hmm. They jump. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Mm. They jump or they fall, you know, depending on whether you believe electrons can make decisions, man. <laughs> or maybe they're pushed. Uh, or pull, <laughs> more, they're more like pulled, right? Yeah. They're more like pulled. And so yeah. basically an LED is a bunch of electrons screaming. So, <laughs> great. <laughs> Next time you look at your phone, your phone is screaming. They are screaming, all the time. screaming photons at you. Every time. You yeah. Know? It's not just your brain that's screaming from your Twitter feed. And the thing that's amazing about this is that it's solid state, right? Nothing is moving here. Mm. You don't have gas that's bouncing around. You don't have metal that's heating up and cooling down. It's just fixed and it's just like an electrical circuit. And that makes it last for a very, very long time. Oh. It lasts for like 100,000 hours before it finally breaks. The electrons can scream for as long as you need them to. That's what you're saying. <laughs> that's right. Unfortunately, the lifespan of an electron is very, very long. It's doomed to a long life of falling down this gap. I guess my question is, what keeps the light going? Like once it falls into the hole, wouldn't it just stay in the hole? Yeah, it does. Wouldn't it fill up all the holes? Well, you have a current, right? And so you're pulling these electrons out of the n-type. So the whole thing is connected to a current. Mm. Imagine like a battery powering the LED. It's sending fresh electrons mm. into the p-type and pulling the electrons out of the n-type. Mm. So the whole thing is a circuit. It is like a waterfall. It's like a continual waterfall. Exactly. Yeah. It's just all like right. a waterfall. You're pumping on one side and then they scream on their way down. It's more like a <laughs> roller coaster because of the screaming. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because then it, they go back down and then the the cart gets pulled over mm -hmm. and then up the ramp again mm -hmm. and then down and then screen. Let's not think of it as electrons suffering, but electrons is having a lot of fun. That's right. And, you know, you might wonder, why do people go on roller coasters? Because they scream the whole time. Well, I guess they like to scream. And so we can imagine that also electrons are enjoying this ride. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're thrill seekers. <laughs> and they seem to be happy to do it because LEDs last for 100,000 hours. Wow. And it's very, very efficient most of the energy that you're sending into this circuit actually goes into emitting light. Yeah. It's like more than 50% of the energy. Wow, that's 10 times. 10 times more efficient than an uh, incandescent bulb. Yeah, 10 times more efficient. And the challenge is in finding the right gaps, so you get the right energy levels, so you get the right colors. And so the mm. first thing was infrared, and then you know infrared is the lowest frequency, the longest wavelength, and then they figured out ways to make them longer so they were visible, and then longer so you got 
red, you got green, and then the challenge was blue LEDs. Dun, dun, dun. All right, let's get into the amazing discovery that was discovering blue LEDs and why it got the Nobel Prize. But first, let's take a quick break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right, it's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities. But it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. All right, Daniel, somebody got a Nobel Prize for discovering the blue LED. So what's so special about blue LEDs? I like the way you make it sound like they discovered a blue LED. Like, well, I was sweeping up in my lab and I found this thing on the ground. Oh my God, it's a blue <laughs> LED, right? It's, it's just what I was looking for. <laughs> because that's how we discover particles, right? You know, we're like, oh my gosh, look, I found a tau particle and now I get a Nobel Prize. Oh, I, see. I didn't like design it or engineer it or invent it, mm, right? It should be more like a, somebody designed blue LED, invented. <laughs> yeah, somebody invented the blue LED, which is sort of awesome and impressive. So we couldn't just take a white LED and put a blue filter on it. Well, that's the thing. You can't make white LEDs without blue, right? Before we had blue LEDs, we had green and we had red. And so you couldn't make white LEDs. Uh, that's why blue LEDs are so important because with blue, you can make the combination you need to make white. And nobody wants in their reading light a a green light or a red light. You want a white LED and you couldn't make white without blue. Oh, you need the blue. You need the blue yes, to make the you white. you need the blue to make the white. Oh. And that's why LEDs have exploded in applications everywhere because now they can make essentially any color because we have the missing blue. Cool. So tell me what was so hard about it and what's the physics behind it? Yeah, and so it's sort of an interesting question. Like it really was an engineering puzzle. Like you just needed to get the right material. You needed to get the right material with the right thickness and mm. configure it all correctly to get blue and it's tricky to get this gap to be extra extra large large enough to make so that when the electrons go down that roller coaster they scream for long enough to give you a blue photon and you know it turns out to be something of a condensed matter and solid state engineering problem and a couple of japanese people figured it out you need some mixture of gallium nitride with other silicon substrates and then you can get this blue led but i i guess why was it so hard like when you try to make electrons jump that much it would 
would burn out or it, they just wouldn't do it or, you know, they wouldn't scream as much as you wanted them. <laughs> what was the difficulty in getting this right? Uh, it was just in finding one that would work. You know, most things just didn't have this large enough gap. And so it's just about finding a material that had this gap. And that also worked. Yeah, that also worked. I mean, you can make a gap, but it, it may not necessarily work. Yeah, to get the electrons to flow across it. And so we can't necessarily predict in advance whether something's going to work. So they sort of had just had to search through lots of different kinds of materials and try this and try this and have insight and inspiration and also just some luck in making it work. And so that's why I think it's interesting, like, does this deserve a physics Nobel Prize? Like, there's no new principle discovered here. There's no fundamental revelation of the nature of the universe or space-time or mm. history or whatever. It was an engineering step forward, which, mm -hmm. hey, deep respect for the engineering step forward. But I think the reason it got the physics Nobel Prize is because of the huge impact on society. Really? You guys look down on things that are useful. <laughs> You're like... <laughs> well, you know, I think the original Nobel Prize was supposed to be about things that shaped society. Oh, and see. so I think Alfred Nobel would probably be pretty pleased. But more recently, a lot of these prizes have been awarded for like deep, but maybe impractical discoveries about the nature of neutrinos or gravitational waves. Oh, I see. That's right. Nobel was an inventor, right? He wasn't a physicist. He was, <laughs> he a, was, an, he was an engineer. Exactly. You guys have co-opted our prize. <laughs> exactly. So in some sense, this is like a return to Nobel's roots, right? Mm. Recognizing something of great import to society because it has had a huge impact. Right. Right? It was like the missing piece. There's nothing weird physically about blue. It's just sort of the highest frequency and therefore the last for us to put together. Oh, I see. So do you think somebody should have gotten a prize, a Nobel Prize for discovering the Higgs boson? Because the people who won it, won it for coming up sort of with the Higgs boson. But the people who discovered it, it was mostly just sort of engineering, right? <laughs> you just described my whole field as mostly sort of just engineering, <laughs> which is so many fascinating angles because I think you meant that as a diss, but you described it as engineering. So No, I hold engineering at the, the highest esteem, Daniel. I was actually trying to um, pay you a compliment. Uh, you were trying to elevate our field by describing it as That's engineering. Right, yes. I appreciate that. It's aspiring to be useful. <laughs> well, I'm not even sure how useful it is to have discovered the Higgs boson. But I think the great innovation there was definitely in having the idea and finding it, I don't know how many big steps forward. I mean, it's a huge effort and technological achievement, but I don't know that we necessarily created anything new. We certainly didn't make anything as fascinating and impactful as the blue LED. We just sort of confirmed mm. an idea that it was in people's minds. So we revealed something right. about the nature of the universe, but something that sort of had been suspected to exist already. Mm. But, uh, okay, so back to uh, the blue LED, that's important because now you have blue and with red and green, you can make white light. So you can make any kind of color yes. now that you have blue LEDs. Yes, exactly. And so these guys invented it in the 90s and then they won the Nobel Prize for it a few years later. Mm. That's how LEDs work and that's why they're so important. So did the people who discovered the red LEDs and the green LEDs also get a prize or only the, no. the one who waited till the end and procrastinated? Yeah. To discover the <laughs> missing color, get the prize. Mm -hmm. I feel like you have another horse in this race here. <laughs> You're pro-procrastination. Yeah, I've built a whole career on it, Danny. Yeah, the lesson here is wait and just sort of put the period at the end of the sentence and you'll get the prize for <laughs> everybody right. else's work. Yeah, there you go. But in a way, it's true, right? Like the person who discovered the red and the green one didn't get a prize, but no. somehow like, you know, completing the triangle to get white light made uh, a bigger splash. Yeah, the person who puts the capstone on the top of the pyramid Right, is the one that mm. claims the prize. Right, the one who discovers the mass particle is the one who. But yeah, so now we can make white light with LEDs that is super efficient and also small, really small. Like maybe before you couldn't make incandescent bulbs small enough for you know retina display kinds of screens but now you can because leds you can make them really really small yeah because we can print semiconductors using these lithography techniques to be really really super tiny and you know we invented these techniques mostly so we can make transistors really really small so we can make computer chips packed with all sorts of little circuits on them but we can also use the same technology to make leds and leds remember are not monochromatic they're not like tiny little lasers right lasers shoot exactly Exactly one frequency or a very, very tight band of frequency because the photons come from one atomic step. LEDs are not quite like that. They, the light they emit is narrowly focused. It doesn't have just a single wave length or frequency.
frequency. It's like a, it is a little bit like incandescent in that it's kind of broad. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They're broader than lasers, but not as broad as incandescent. So that's why they're a specific color, but they're not like a really tight band mm. like lasers. Okay. So then when I turn on the flashlight on my phone and I see this white light come off and that helps me at night and get around at night, I'm actually seeing not a white LED, but like a whole bunch of red, blue, and green LEDs mixed together. That's right. And when you look on your screen and you see white for the blank page of the Word document of the novel you've been writing for 10 years, then what you're really seeing are red, green, and blue blinking your failure at you. <laughs> blinking. But, you know, that's what Newton discovered is that white light is actually just a mixture of colored lights. There's no difference. There is no white photon. Mm. There's no color in the spectrum that is white. White light is just a mixture of red, green, and blue. Wow. And so basically that increased our human level global efficiency for light yeah. by 10 times. So now we can be a whole lot more eco-friendly. Yeah, except probably just means we made a lot more bulbs. So we're probably using the same amount of electricity <laughs> and now we're just lighting everything up. What? No, <laughs> no I changed all my, the light bulbs in my house for LEDs and boy your power bill drops like crazy. Yeah, well, do you appreciate it though for working? Like when you're drawing something, do you like using natural light or incandescent light or LED light? Or does it not make any difference because you do everything at 2 a.m.? Uh, well, I draw everything on the computer. So <laughs> it's all LED powered, baby. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I have a new respect for blue LEDs now. And also a little respect for red and green LEDs. You know, I feel like they got the short end of the color triangle. They are singing the Nobel blues. All right. But I think, it, you know, it, it points us to how even a small discovery in physics or experimental physics can lead to basically a revolution in, in how we lead our lives and, and what kinds of devices we use every day. That's right. Engineering can change the world. What? <laughs> Hey, uh, can you guys replay that just one more time? I just want to make sure that we heard it right. Can you replay it? Engineering can change the world. world. <laughs> I'm going to download it, frame it, frame it on an LED frame. I should send you a little button. You can just press that and hear me say that every time you want. Whenever I'm going to hack into your phone and make it your ringtone. <laughs> That's your new ringtone. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we hope you enjoyed that. And we hope you look at light in a whole different light. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.